Well, I want to welcome you again to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And I especially want to say welcome to you if this is your first time uh, here with us in worship. We're delighted to have you as our guest. Uh, four weeks ago, we began a series called Campfire, and we said that the very simple idea at the heart of the series was that God created us for relationships, and relationships are one of the primary contexts where our lives are transformed and where we grow. Conversely, that when we live our lives in prolonged and consistent isolation, that it not only degrades our spiritual health, but, it, but that it inhibits our capacity for experiencing personal growth. That relationships are a big deal. God created us to live in relationship with one another, and relationships is one of, are one of those places where God transforms our lives. In the second week of the series, we talked about the principle that safe people are the ones who create safe relationships. So if you look at any healthy community, whether that community is a church, a Sunday school class, a small group, a PTA organization, a workplace, a neighborhood group, whatever form that community takes, if it's a healthy community, if it's a life-giving community, it's because there is at least one person, perhaps several people who are a part of that community who live as safe and healthy people who live out grace and compassion uh, in such a way that they can hold the community together during difficult times, those healthy people, those safe people, are part of what keeps communities growing and healthy and life-giving. So if you are a follower of Jesus, one of the things that we've talked about is that part of your responsibility, part of what God has called you to be, is someone who can be a safe person. Someone who in the context of a community, you can be a hub, someone who lives out grace and compassion, the love of God in such a way that you bring people together and hold people together and help foster and nurture a healthy community which transforms people's lives. Last week we talked about vulnerability, the thing that most of us would prefer to avoid. Most of us uh, tend towards isolation because we have the sense that we are safe there. We know that relationships are hard, that community is difficult, that often it calls us to embrace our vulnerability, to face our fear of rejection, of feeling inferior, of feeling embarrassed, to open ourselves up to one another so that we can experience the growth that God longs to see in our life. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Notice the metaphor. It's a metaphor of friction. It's a metaphor of pain. And when, we're, when we come together and when we suffer together, when we share life together, we're vulnerable together, it helps us grow. That's what we've been talking about over the last three weeks. And there's been something in the background of our conversations that I want to bring to the primary place today. We've talked about your relationships and your campfire and your community because we recognize that of the people that are here this morning, we represent uh, perhaps thousands of different communities. You're part of a, a campfire community in your own home, in your, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in, 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 in many different forms. You share life with people. We're all a part of these different campfires, these different communities, and that's why we spent three weeks talking about that. And yet, we all share something together as well. We gather here today in worship around our campfire, the campfire we share as a family of faith, First Methodist Mansfield. And the first question I want to ask you is, what is it that we share? 
What is it that is at the center of our community? What is it that that brings us together in this place? What are we about when we think about our campfire and our life together? And if you're brand new, you may not know what it is. If you're a regular, you better know what it is. You probably know it so well that you're tired of us talking about it, but we're going to keep talking about it because we believe in a repetition, and that is that our campfire, our community, is about making disciples of Jesus. That's what our life is about. We're about making disciples of Jesus. We believe that following Jesus is the best way to live. It's not the easiest way to live. We believe it is the best way to live. We are followers of Jesus whose desire is to help other people follow Jesus. That's what our life is about because that's what Jesus said the church was about. If you look at the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He says, go and make disciples. And because the church belongs to Jesus, we believe we should do what Jesus has asked us to do. This is the commission. This is the call. Go and make disciples. Invite people to learn what I have taught you, to live as I have lived with you, to to share life in such a way that I have shared life with you. This is your task. This is your call. This is what the church is about. It's about making disciples. And we think about discipleship here uh, in, in a specific way. We think about three different expressions of discipleship, or you might think of them as three different steps of discipleship. It's about loving God, it's about loving others, and it's about serving the world. That's what we believe a disciple of Jesus lives out. So if you are living as a deeply devoted, committed follower of Jesus, we believe that will be seen and experienced in the way that you love God, in the way that you love others and the way in which you are in service and ministry to the world. That's what, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And again, that comes from what Jesus said. When Jesus was asked in Matthew 22, hey Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, love God and love others. That's what your life is about. It's about loving God and it's about loving others. This, this is the call, this is the task of what it means to be a disciple. So that's our hope. For every single person who's here, if you're, if you're brand new and you decide that this is a place that you want to call home, this is going to be our hope and goal for you, our prayer for you, that you would grow to become a disciple of Jesus who exhibits these three expressions of faith, loving God, loving others, and serving the world. Which, which brings us to this question. If we believe that relationships are one of the primary contexts where our life is changed. If we believe that isolation, where we tend to find ourselves at times, is, is not only a way to, that degrades our spiritual health, but inhibits our capacity for personal growth. And if we believe that our task as a church is to make disciples, to invite people into this, this pathway of transformation to become something that they may not be yet, if the church is about making disciples and relationships are a key part of growing a disciple, what role does the church play? What is our responsibility? When we step back and we look at our campfire together, the life that we share as a family of faith and this task that we have committed ourselves to, what are we responsible for together as a church as we think about this process of discipleship, of becoming deeply devoted followers of Jesus? What do we do together? What part does the, what role does the church play in this journey we call following Jesus? 
Some of you may have heard of Andy Stanley. Andy's a pastor of a church right outside Atlanta, Georgia. Some of you may know his father, Charles Stanley. First Baptist Church has been on TV for for decades. Uh, Andy started a church called North Point, again, right outside uh, Atlanta. He's written numerous books. He's uh, one of the most well-known speakers and, and, and preachers. He actually preached the inauguration service for President Obama's first inauguration. If you came to our LeaderCast event last week, which was an event event for business leaders and community leaders. You heard Andy speak. He was the first speaker on that lineup, the only pastor that was invited to speak. And when he was introduced at that event, this is how the person who introduced him shared, you know, kind of introduced Andy as he came on the stage. He said, you're about to hear from Andy Stanley, who I think is the greatest communicator in the world. And then he walked off the stage. And I thought, well, no pressure or anything, you know, just come out, you, they've just been, you've been introduced as the greatest communicator in the world, I wouldn't want to follow that, you know, you always want to undersell and over-deliver, that's kind of your goal, right? But, but, but here's the truth, Andy really is one of the greatest communicators in, on the planet, I mean, he's amazing, he's an amazing communicator, if you've heard him speak, you, you, you walk away every time going, well, that, it's great content, it's, it's transformational, it's dynamic, he's just a, he's an incredible, incredible communicator, and so when you look at his church, a church that has had a tremendous impact, not only in the Atlanta area, but has made a tremendous impact on the American church, of thinking about the, the task that, that Jesus gives to us, of making disciples. There are many churches that look, we're included among them, that look at a church like North Point and say, we can learn from them. We want to learn from them. There's something that they are doing that is, is transforming lives. We want to learn from them. But when you look at their model, there's something that you know you can't quite emulate and you can't quite copy. And that is that they have the greatest communicator on the planet. <laughs> who leads the church and you can't copy that you can't just take him and put him here you know you know that they have Andy Stanley and and you don't and there's some you know humility that comes into that that there is Andy and and you look at a church like that and you think well okay they're doing some amazing things but they also have this dynamic great leader kind of leads you to the question of well what would this church be without Andy Stanley a question which by the way was recently asked of Andy what would his church be without him. And this is what he said. He said, let's say that something happens to me, all the staff, and all the buildings simultaneously explode. Let's make it worst case scenario. There's no staff, there's no buildings, and there's no me. Here's what would happen, he says. On Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday of the following week, Thousands and thousands of adults would gather in homes all over the city and pray together and do Bible study together and take care of whatever family members are left over and the church is going to go on. And listen to this. Because at the end of the day, circles are better than rows. And from day one, we've been committed to creating a culture that's all about circles and not rose. And as I read these last two sentences, remember that Andy was introduced as one of the greatest communicators on the planet. He said, we are famous for our rose, but the strength of our church is our circles. We are famous for our rose, but the strength of our church is our circles. So we said that our question for today was that if the church is about making disciples and relationships are a key part of growing as a disciple, what role does the church play? And in order to really address that question, I think we have to ask ourselves this question. Is church a row or is church a circle? 
Is church a place where you show up, find a seat, and listen to someone speak? Or is church a circle of friends who share life together, who share their hopes and dreams and hurts and brokenness and find healing and hope and together seek to follow Jesus? Is church a row or is church a circle? The answer is probably that church is both. Because both are important. Both are necessary. What we're doing here today, we believe in this time. We think this is an important time. Inspiration and encouragement and affirmation and grace, we hope all of those things are received when we gather together as a community of faith. We, we believe in this time. And yet I know from my own life, and I know from, from my work as a pastor working with people, that deep life change happens much more often in a circle than it does in a row. Deep life change happens much more often in a circle than it does in a row. Now here's what that means. That means that that if all you are doing is coming to worship, if all you are doing is, is showing up and taking your seat in a row, if that's all church is for you, then you are shortchanging the work of God's grace in your life. If this is it, if church is simply a row, a place where you show up and listen to someone speak, then you are shortchanging the work of God's grace in your life. Now, I want to clarify a few things. I want to make sure you hear that appropriately. The first thing I want you to understand is I don't want you in this moment to open up your mind and pull out your mental to-do list and go, oh, David just added some things I got to do. I got to figure out how to work this into my life. My life's too busy. It's too structured. It's too chaotic. I know that's true. So don't go there with me yet. Don't, don't, even, don't even go, that, go that, that, that direction yet. I don't want you to leave here with an extra layer of guilt of, oh, he's saying there's something else. I, let's not go there yet. Just, just listen to me for, for a moment here as, as we think about why that might be true. Uh, the first thing I, I want to make sure you don't hear is I don't, want, I don't want you to hear me saying that I'm diminishing the time that we're sharing together here. I think this is critical. There's a reason that we have church every seven days. There's a reason we do that. Because we believe there's something powerful about being together with one another, about the body of believers coming together and worship with one another, prayerfully singing, honoring God, being encouraged and affirmed and being sent back out into the world to be the people that God has called us to be. There's something huge about this time. We believe in this time. 15 to 20 hours of my week is about preparing for this time. I mean, it's a big deal and we, we believe in it because we believe in our mission of making disciples. But here's what you have to understand, that, that, that even though myself and Pastor Mike, we believe in this time and we invest in this time, we, we, we don't misunderstand what's happening here. We are, we are not led to believe that we are the ones who are causing change in your life. A pastor can't do that for you. I don't have that power. I don't have that influence. I don't have that authority. I, I cannot change your life, which means that in the context of worship, if something has happened in here that has been life-changing for you, that has been nurturing for you, if you've heard a word in a way that has touched your heart and touched your life, if you've led, left here uh, with, with a greater clarity on what you need to do to be as a disciple of Jesus, someone else was involved in that process. 
It wasn't just what the pastor said and what you heard. It was the primary agent of God's change working in your life. And that primary agent is not me, but the Spirit of God that lives in you. If you said yes to Jesus, what the scriptures say, the promise that we find Jesus sharing with his disciples is that the Spirit of God lives in you and is working in you, doing good things and causing the seeds of grace that have been planted in your life to receive the nourishment that they need to flourish in the way that God wants them to flourish in your life. It's the Spirit that does that work, not the pastor, not the worship leader. Not, not your small group leader, not, not even the people that you share life with on a consistent basis. It's the Spirit that does that. So, so think about it this way with me. Let's imagine that you know a young person. You know a young person, and you see this person as a high-capacity person. I mean, they're not there yet, but you have this vision of their life that they may not be able to see, but you have this vision of what they might one day be able to become. You, you see in them gifts and, and capabilities that, again, they may not even see in themselves, but you know they're there. You know that given the right amount of time and attention and wisdom, that something amazing can come out of this person's life. And so you look at them and you think, you know what, I want to help invest in this person. And so you, you, you see them, and, and let's say you know another person who may be a few steps down the road, down the journey, someone who has experienced some ups and downs, some celebrations and some sorrows, who, who has the experience and the wisdom to maybe influence this younger person. Someone who may be only a few years older, but someone who may be decades older. But you just have this sense that if you could connect these two people together, that amazing things would happen. If you could just get them together, to get them in the same room, to get some, some face time between these two people, that something good would happen. So what are you going to do? You're going to make sure that this person has this person's phone number. You're going to make sure that this person has this person's email address. You want to make sure that they connect. You might encourage them to go to lunch. You might encourage them to grab a cup of coffee, and you would encourage them to do that on a recurring basis, right? You would want them to have as much face time as they could possibly have with this person, because we all believe this, that the greater the access someone has to your life, the greater the influence they can have over your life. We all believe that. We all practice that. It's the principle that influences every mentoring relationship that you've ever had in your life or you've helped somebody else find in their life. That the greater the access that person has to their life, the greater influence they can have over their life. And that same principle is true in our relationship with the Spirit of God at work in us. More access means more influence. More access means a greater amount of influence. The more access you give to the Spirit, to your life, the more influence the Spirit can give over your life. So why do I want you to come to church? Why do I want you to invest in a daily time of prayer and studying the Scriptures? Why do I want you to invest yourself in serving opportunities, and, and whether it's Feed by Grace Homeless Ministry or Meals on Wheels, which we are celebrating here today, 40 years of faithful service here in the Tarrant County area. Uh, it may be working as a parking lot greeter outside. It may be volunteering at the Mission Center. It may be doing a whole host of things. Uh, why do I want you to spend time in a row, and why do I care deeply about you finding life in the context of a circle? Because they are all access points. They are all places where we reconnect with the work of the Spirit within us. And the more access that the Spirit has to our life, the greater the influence the Spirit can have over our life.
That's why we need all of these things. If the dream that we have for ourselves, the dream that God has for ourselves, is going to come true, the more access that the Spirit has, the greater the influence the Spirit has over our lives. Some of us look at our lives today, we've been walking with Jesus for a certain period of time, and we wonder, God, why am I not who I want to be yet? Why am I not where I want to be yet? You know what the real question should be? How much access does the Spirit have in your life? How much access does the Spirit have in your life? And what I'm suggesting to you is this. If it's only an hour a week, it's not enough. It's not enough. Especially when you consider the other influences that have access to our life. And the way many of those work against what the Spirit is seeking to do in our life. It's why church has to be more than a row. It's why church has to also be a circle. A place where we not only share our lives with one another with, with, with vulnerability and openness, but we do that with the intent of accessing, providing a channel for the Spirit to influence us and shape us into the people that God has called us to be. Let me close by sharing with you this. This is my growing conviction about our campfire. So we're talking, I'm talking now to our church, to who we are as a family of faith. My growing conviction about our campfire. We are a church that is known in our community. What I mean by that is people who may have never set foot on our campus, they may have never attended any of our official events, come to a worship service, etc. We are known in our community as a church that cares deeply about transforming our community about influencing and helping shape our community. We're known by that. People who who have no knowledge of our programs uh, here on campus know about the way in which we are invested in our local community. One of the ways that I know that's true is because on Wednesday, we had a ribbon-cutting event for the Wesley Mission Center. If you don't know, the Wesley Mission Center is now a separate nonprofit that still offices here on, on our campus, but has grown beyond the boundaries of our church campus. It started in a Sunday school class. A group of people in our church who said, we think we might be able to make a difference in our community. They had no idea what they were doing or how it was going to happen, but they said, we think God wants us to do this. And so they started this, this, this small little thrift store ministry that has now grown beyond, again, the capacity of First Methodist Church Mansfield. It is now an organization that works with many other churches in our community, uh, the, the city, and other organizations to help bring hope to people in our community who need that. And on Wednesday, we celebrated that. And people from all different parts of our community showed up. Civic leaders, organizational leaders, other church leaders. They came to our campus to cut a ribbon, to celebrate that ministry, and to affirm that it is something that has grown beyond the scope of First Methodist Mansfield. It is now a gift that First Methodist Mansfield is sharing with our Mansfield community. And you should be proud of that. I want you to be proud of that. I'm proud of that. I take great pride in the fact that I'm a pastor of a church that cares so deeply about our community to the extent that our community knows it and celebrates it with us. That's awesome. That's something that we should take great, incredible pride in. But this is my conviction, that if the church that has blessed your life is going to be the church that blesses your children's lives and your children's children's lives, If decades from now, this church is the church that God longs for it to be, a church that lives out this mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ, then one of the things that we're going to have to get better at 
is making disciples of Jesus Christ. That core mission that we share, inviting people to see church as something more than a row, but also a circle. And that's a huge challenge for us. I don't have the answers for that. None of our pastoral staff, that we, we don't have the answers for that, but we believe that that's what God is calling us to do, that in 10 years' time, this church will not only be known as a church that cares about the community, but this church will be known by people who have no knowledge of our programs as the church that transforms people's lives, helps people become disciples of Jesus. That's what they will say of us in 10 years. If we're going to be the church that God wants us to be. Now, here's the challenge for us. Here's what that means for us. That in a church where there is a tremendous amount of rows, we're going to have to help people find circles. We're going to have to help people find circles. Places where they can engage in deep, healthy, life-giving relationship and experience the transformation that God wants them to, to have in their life. Moving people from rows also into circles. That's, that's a huge challenge for us. And again, we don't, we don't know how to meet it yet, but we feel like that's the challenge that's before us, to help people find a campfire, a place where they can find life. But this is what it also means, because I know in my own life, the church can only do so much for me. At some point, I have to take responsibility for my life and for the dreams that God has for my life. So I want to end this series by simply sharing with you a few questions that I want to invite you to prayerfully consider in the weeks ahead. The first question is is this, how much access does God's Spirit have in my life? How much access does the God's Spirit have in my life? And and going back to this whole idea of the mental checklist and all the things that you got to get done, what I would suggest most of us need to do is not add as much as we need to subtract. There are things in our life that just have no business being a part of our life. They're not as important as we, think we, as we think they are, especially when we consider the access the Spirit needs in order to have the influence the Spirit wants to have, which, is, which leads to the second question. Is there an influence in my life that has too much access in my life? Is there an influence in my life that has too much access in my life that either needs to be diminished or it needs to be removed completely because it's working against what the Spirit is seeking to do in your life. Is church more than a row in your life? And if so, who else is a part of your circle? Which is another way of asking the question that we asked you the first week and the second week and the third week of the series and in this final week. The question is, where are you building your campfire? Where are you building your campfire? Who are those two or three people who in the middle of the night you could call just because you needed someone? Because you had an emergency, because there was something that came up and you just, you just needed to, to reach out to somebody. Who are the two or three people who would call you? Because they needed you. And they knew that they could count on you. We all need that. We all need a campfire. Let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we know that you have entrusted to us as your church a sacred and holy mission. You have given to us the words of life and grace and peace and hope. And you have invited us to live those words. And in living those words, to share those words. So we pray today for our church. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, that you would direct us and guide us to be a church that that fulfills its mission a community of faith that is filled with followers of Jesus who are, who are dedicated to helping other people follow Jesus so that the change you long to see in us and the change you long to see around us 
would be fully realized because of the commitment of your people. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.